Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. First Corinthians 4. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the sayings. Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you are all, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you did not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power." What do you prefer? Should I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. So pride is a funny thing. 
Uh, not ha-ha funny, although sometimes it's ha-ha funny. Uh, there's a lot of vices out there, a lot of things that we can kind of get sucked into, but I don't know if there's any vice that has the gravitational pull that pride does. Because we can be proud about anything. Like, ridiculous things we can kind of cling to and, like, boast about and, like, have an air of superiority because of, like, fill in the blank. Like, uh, I I was even, like, going through and trying to, uh, like, see some of the silly things. There's like a Reddit list of like dumb things that people take pride in. It's like thousands of comments long because we can take pride in anything. Like, like you could take pride in the fact that you thought something was cool before anybody else did. The early adopters out there, like you were listening to so-and-so way before it was cool. Or you could take pride in the fact that you, you don't like what everyone else likes right? Like those sheep. No, I'm not like them. I I can't be pulled in by the mainstream media. I'm too cool for that, right? We can take pride in in superiority in all sorts of things. One of the things from like back in the day for me is I I would take pride and, you know, have an air of superiority about how many speeding tickets I got out of. Uh, Yeah, because somebody else's like graciousness and generosity to me was a reason for me to think I'm a better human being. Uh, But we could do this with so many things. Like I've heard people take pride in how little they sleep at night, like how few hours they sleep. I've also heard people take pride in how many hours they sleep at night. I've heard people talk about how many hours they worked last week, like boasting, like, I worked 80 hours last week. I'm like, you're proud of that? That seems like you lost control of your life. That's not something to be proud of, but we can take anything and be proud of it. I've, I've literally heard people take pride in being stupid and ignorant. Like, literally, to talk about, like, being unintelligent and take pride in that because we can cling to anything and make it a reason to feel superior to other people. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he's a, was a pastor and theologian in the early 20th, mid-20th century, but he says, from the first moment when a man meets another person, he is looking for a strategic position he can assume and hold over against that person because pride has this this gravitational pull where even if if we're not trying to we just kind of naturally will cling to things to make ourselves feel superior to other people and we're in this series that we're calling supernatural power for everyday people we're going through the book of first corinthians and the corinthians this is a letter written by the apostle paul to the church in corinth and the church in corinth was struggling with pride and this sense of superiority and and they were doing it with one another they were finding all sorts of reasons to feel like they were superior to their brothers and sisters in Christ and there are all these divisions and if you've been joining with us for the the past few weeks you've kind of gotten this sense that this is a core issue that Paul keeps kind of circling around in this letter and today he he just narrows in on the the causes of this pride and what we can do about it And he kicks off this letter talking about himself because what they were doing in Corinth is they were taking certain leaders like Paul and they were saying, you know, I'm on team Paul. And they were boasting about being on Paul's team. And others were saying, well, I'm on team Apollos. And they were taking pride and feeling superior because they were on Apollos team and Apollos team is the better team. And others were saying, well, no, no, I'm on team Cephas. And they were taking pride in that. And so Paul starts with himself and and talking about all of these leaders and he, he redefines what these leaders are. At the beginning of chapter 4, he says, This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries revealed to us. So he says, you're holding us up. You're putting us up on these pedestals. Well, we are as servants. And the the word here that's translated servants, uh, we don't really have servants 
today, not in the way they did then, but you kind of think of it like an assistant, like a personal assistant or a secretary. And and then this word here, those entrusted, that's uh, translated those entrusted, it's the word for like steward. It's kind of being a household manager. Again, we don't really have something like that that's kind of commonplace. The closest thing we have today is like a nanny. So Paul is saying, you're holding us up on a pedestal. You're holding me on a pedestal, but I'm, I'm like an assistant. I'm, I'm a nanny, right? See, I'm not, I'm not special. Now, some assistants and some nannies get access to kind of like special things. Uh, a few years ago, Kelly Bellawomo, you guys all probably know Kelly because she's like the first person you meet when you come to Beacon, but our Kelly Bellawomo had this little side gig, uh, and I, I did get permission to share this, but she had this side gig where she was doing kind of a nanny, like before and after school nannying job, and the family that she was working for think, thought that like Kelly was the best mom ever. Now, Kelly has four kids, and she makes it look easy, and she kind of is crushing it as a mom. But this family was like, man, you, they just never saw anything like it. And so this family, they recommend Kelly to a friend of theirs. And he was this kind of like obscure rapper. What was his name? I think it was Jay-Z? Jay-Z. Yeah. Uh, so our Kelly, uh, not our Kelly, our Kelly. <laughs> by the way, by the way, if you've, if you've never picked up on it, Robert, Kelly, our, anyway. Um, our, so our Kelly Bellawomo goes and has a, a private, like, one-on-one conversation with Jay-Z at the Barclays Center because he's interviewing her to be, like, Blue Ivy's nanny, right? Uh, which is pretty cool. Kelly did not take the job. I don't know what happened. But I'm, I'm assuming somebody became Blue Ivy's nanny, and that nanny gets a lot of, like, perks and privileges and stuff like that. But, but rest assured, that nanny is still the help, Right? not part of the family. She's not a superstar. She's, she's part of the help. And Paul's saying, like, yeah, some of us, some of us servants and some of us stewards, maybe we get, like, special kind of positions and we have certain authority, but don't, don't get wrong. We're, we're the help, all right? And he says, as the help, he says, now it's required that those who have been in, uh, given a trust, as the help, somebody who's been given a trust must prove faithful. So as the help, he's going to get a performance review. But he goes on to say, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. So he's like, yes, I have, to, I have to perform in a certain way. My performance is going to get reviewed, but not by you. I don't care what you think. And he actually pushes even farther. He says, indeed, I don't even judge myself. He says, my conscience is clear, but that, that doesn't make me innocent. Of course, this is just, just wisdom, because if Paul is, is a servant, then it doesn't matter if Paul thinks he's doing a good job. If the master doesn't think he's doing a good job, then he's not doing a good job. And, and of course, all of us, and you, I know you've been here, you've been in that situation where you've done something that like, you worked hard on it, and you were so proud of it, and you were like, ready to kind of show it off, and then you found out like, it really isn't good. <laughs> and we've all been there. We've all had those moments where our, our judgment really wasn't that reliable. And Paul's like, look, I can't even trust my own judgment on this. Only one gets to be the judge. And so he says, it is the Lord who judges me. He's the only one who has the authority. He's the, he's the master that I'm serving. He's the one who gets to do my performance review. And then he goes, he goes even farther. He says, therefore, judge nothing. So now he turns it back on the Corinthians. He says, you guys, don't, don't make any of these judgment calls about us as leaders. Don't, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and will expose the motives of the heart. So what Paul's saying here is, not only do we not have the authority to judge, only God has the authority to judge, but he's also saying, we don't even have the qualifications to judge because we don't know the things that are hidden in darkness and we don't know the hidden motives of the heart. 
And so even if we, we had the authority, we just don't even have the, the capability to judge accurately. He says there are things that are hidden, motives of the heart. And Paul's saying, not only does he not trust you to judge, he doesn't even trust himself to know these things that are hidden in darkness and the hidden motives of his own heart. He says, so don't, don't hold me or any of these guys up on a pedestal. Like, you don't, you don't know what's going on. I don't even know what's going on. And he pushes it further. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So what he's saying here is, I've, I've used me and Apollos as an example, but what I'm talking about, it goes even farther. It stretches farther than just this immediate situation. And he says, I, I've applied these things to us so that whenever you're reading the Bible and you see so that, that should cause pause. You should be like, this is a purpose statement. This is whatever went before He's going to say why. He says, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. Could Paul be any less clear? <laughs> uh, so what is he saying? All right, so don't go beyond what is written. This is actually, this was a, a saying in Corinth. It was kind of like a common proverb of the day. Like we would say, you know, if, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs, or uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, or, uh, you know, killing two birds with one stone, or don't count your eggs before they hatch. We have a lot of bird uh, colloquialisms. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. But this was one of their common proverbs. Don't go beyond what is written. So Paul's saying, I'm going to use this kind of modern or contemporary saying, and I'm going to appropriate it for myself. I'm going to show you what it really means. But in order to understand what he means, we need to know what he means by what is written. What is written. And there's been a handful of times in the letter to the Corinthians so far that Paul has used the phrase, it is written. All right, a handful of times that he says, it is written. And every time he uses it, he uses it in reference to the Old Testament. All right, so when he talks about don't go beyond what is written, he's talking about the Old Testament. But he's not just talking about the Old Testament in general. He's talking about a certain teaching around a certain subject in the Old Testament. And if you want to know what he means, we actually can go back and we can look at the five times Paul references the Old Testament so far in this letter. Look what he says. First time, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, he says these are the things that God has prepared for us. And he says he catches the wise in their craftiness. The Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. You guys kind of get a, a sense, a theme that's going on here. That Paul is, is touching on the Old Testament teaching with regards to the frailty of human wisdom and the fact that we should not boast in our own wisdom and judgment. And so he's saying, don't go beyond what is written. And if we do, he says in the next verse, he says, then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against another. So this, is, this brings us to the heart of the issue for the Corinthians. All right? They were being, becoming puffed up and becoming a follower of one of them over the other. And, and the Corinthians, they developed what I'm going to call second-degree superiority. Second degree superiority. See, first degree superiority is when you pick the right team. So there's some of them that said, hey, I'm on team Paul. Some said, I'm on team Apollos. And they thought, well, Paul is the better team. So if I'm on team Paul, Paul's the better team. I am superior to those people on team Apollos. That's first degree superiority. But then they take it a step further. And they turn to second degree superiority because what they start to assume is, well, wait a second. I'm on Team Paul, Team Paul's superior, and I happen to have the wisdom and the discernment to choose Team Paul. 
So not only am I superior because I'm on Team Paul, I'm superior because I had the wherewithal to choose Team Paul, unlike those clowns over there that are on Team Apollos, those fools, right? And so they have this, this double superiority that they're kind of working against each other. It's like, uh, I, I think a modern-day example would be, uh, so last week we had uh, Joel, Pastor Joel from Centerpoint, come out. He's one of the pastors over there. And it was awesome having here last week. We really loved being able to do that together. And there are some people that prefer Centerpoint Church to Beacon. And I presume you prefer Beacon. Beacon to Centerpoint. That's why you're here, I'm assuming. Uh, and that's fine. Like, having those different tastes and dispositions, that's totally fine. I was at a, a workshop a few years ago in the city with uh, Tim Keller, and he was asked about Hillsong, how he felt about Hillsong Church. And I don't know if you know, but if you're familiar, Hillsong was planted a couple years prior, and it was growing. Like, when it was planted, like, the first weekend, I think they had, like, 2,000 people show up. It was just massive church, like, on day one. And if you know anything about Hillsong, and you know anything about Tim Keller's church, Redeemer, they're very, very different churches, very different experiences. Same Jesus, very different experience. And so somebody asked, like, Keller, like, hey, how do you feel about, you know, churches like Hillsong? And I loved his response. He says, I am so glad that they're here in our city doing what they do. And I am so glad that I don't have to go to their church. <laughs> which was super honest, and I can appreciate that, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to have different preferences on, on some of these secondary and tertiary things, right? Uh, but wh where we, we get into trouble is when we start to say, my church is superior to your church. And we start to say, well, no, 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 well, Beacon is superior to Centerpoint, right? And that's when we enter into first-degree superiority. But then, then we start to get into second-degree superiority when we say, well, not only is Beacon the better church, but I'm better because I had the wisdom and the wherewithal and the discernment to choose the better church. That makes me objectively superior to all those people. And so this is what was going on in Corinth. But of course, this, this doesn't have to be limited to religious uh, settings, right? I actually, there's not a, a spirit of competition among churches here on Long Island, not like in other places. That's why we had Joel here last week and Robert was at Centerpoint and we had good friends with Shelter Rock and The Bridge and all of those. Like, we, we are all on the same team. But this, this sort of second-degree superiority, it can apply in a lot of different areas, right? We can apply it to uh, where, we, where we live where, or where we grew up which is always funny because you didn't really pick where you grew up, but we could still feel like we picked it and feel like, oh, I'm superior because I'm from New York. And, well, I'm still here, which means I'm still choosing New York, which makes me better than those clowns living in the Midwest or whatever, right? Uh, we could do it in all these different areas. Perhaps probably the most uh, problematic in our day would be the, the political arena, right? Right here at Beacon, we have people that represent both sides of the spectrum and the middle, like left, right, middle. We have people here that represent all of those. And, and that's okay because each one of those has slivers of the truth behind them and each one of them has slivers of evil mixed in. And so it, it is hard to pick what is the best one, but we have to kind of pick at some point. And, uh, and, and that's okay. But where we get into trouble, where we enter into that first degree superiority is when we say, well, my camp my side of the aisle is definitively the superior aisle, or the superior side. My side is obviously the better one. Now, we can have conviction and say, I, I believe this is the better, but when we, we hold that, like, definitively, this is the better decision, then we start to, to go into this first-degree superiority. And Paul's like, oh, I, you 
cannot possibly know that. These things are so complicated and so nuanced, and there are things that are hidden in darkness, and there are motives of the heart that you have no idea about. And so, yes, you can try to make that decision to the best of your ability, but you can't walk away saying definitively this is the better side, right? And if I were to pick a side, no matter which, but I pick left, right, or middle, all right, there are followers of Jesus who are way, way, way smarter than me and way holier than I am that would be on the opposite side of the spectrum for me, whichever camp I go in. So I can't say definitively this is the better, but we, we do, we do, and then we take it one step further and we say, not only did I pick the better, and not only am I on the better team, but I picked the better team because I, in my great wisdom, my superior wisdom, I'm smarter and brighter, and I see with more clarity than everybody else. And so these, these preferences actually become identity statements. And we start to bolster our identity, our sense of personhood, with the, the camp that we're in. And we say, oh, I'm, I'm superior. This is, this is where I get my value. I'm superior to all of these other people. And Paul's saying, come on, guys. <laughs> I don't even have that kind of judgment about myself. Because I can't know that about myself. How could we know that about any of these camps? And he calls attention to this for the Corinthians. And then, then he brings in a whole new di- dimension. He says, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? I love this question. Because the question that I'm asking usually is, what makes me different? What makes me different? So I could cling to what makes me different and claim my superiority. And he says, no, 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 it's not what. Who? Who makes you different? Did you make you different? Did you? And he's not saying that there aren't differences, right? Some of you, some of you guys are smarter than the average bear. Like, and that's cool. But you didn't make yourself smarter. Who made you different? Some of you are harder working than the people around you. Who made you that way? Did you make yourself that way? Maybe you cultivated over time, but where did it start? You didn't didn't start. You didn't pick the family that you were born into or the place where you were born. Some of you are more responsible with your finances than other people, and you just have a better sense of these things. Who made you that way? Did you make you that way? Did you birth yourself? Of course not. He's drawing out the obvious. Who made you this way? And, And he says, if you did receive these things, right? So if these things really did come from God, why do you boast as though you didn't? Why do you boast? Why do you take this sense of superiority in the things that you have received from God when you didn't earn them? They were given to you. So he starts to try and and bring a little more clarity to what we have. That these gifts that we've been given, these aren't things that we can just kind of cling to as, as ways to feel superior to one another. But then, I think he introduces another question. Because now we answered who makes us different, but it begs the question why. Why did God give you these gifts? So why did God make you a little smarter than the guy next to you? Why did God make you a little harder working than the the lady next to you? Why did God give you that sense of responsibility or that gift with money or all of the, you know, whatever these gifts are, why did he give them to you, right? And this is where where Paul goes next. 
Look what he says. And he starts to draw out a contrast between how he used his gifts, he and the apostles used their gifts, and how the Corinthians were using their gifts. He says, already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign in that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. Right? So you can sense the sarcasm. He's saying, already you're reigning like kings. But he's like, actually, I wish you were really reigning, but you're just kind of playing that. He says, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. This was part of, uh, they would have these parades going through the city. And at the, the end of these parades, they'd have all of the, the prisoners who were going to be sent into the, the arena to be killed in the gladiator games. And Paul's saying, we're, that's who we are. As the apostles, we're the ones dragging at the back or condemned to die in the arena. He says, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, not just to people, but he says, to angels as well as human beings. He says, we're fools for Christ, but you, you're so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you, you're so strong. We, you are honored and we are dishonored to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty and we're rags and we're brutally treated and we're homeless and we work with our own hands and when we're cursed we bless and when we are persecuted we endure it and when we're slandered we answer kindly and he he wraps up this section by saying we have become the scum of the earth the garbage of the world right up to this very moment you see the the contrast between the apostles, Paul and the apostles, and how the Corinthians were living. And the Corinthians, they, they took these gifts from God and they interpreted the gifts from God as rewards that they earned for their own enjoyment. So, yeah, you know, they're a little smarter, they're a little more responsible, they're a little better with their money, they're blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they, they viewed those gifts, those as rewards that they earned. Like God, sure, maybe God gave them, but I earned them, right? And I earned them for, for my enjoyment, so I could reign, so we could live like kings. And, and Paul says, but, but we apostles, we see these gifts as resources entrusted to us for his service. When I was a senior in high school, uh, my youth pastor uh, one night in, in youth group, he asked the students, he said, hey, you know, is God putting on anybody's heart that, you know, maybe they should offer something up to him, something that you've been clinging to that you should relinquish to him. And as I was praying about it, I really, I felt God saying to give up my dream school, my dream college. And so I did. I kind of signed a paper and talked to my youth pastor for accountability so I couldn't go back on my word. And I, I gave up my dream school. And a couple of months later, I got a call from uh, another school, from New Jersey Institute of Technology, saying, uh, congratulations on your acceptance into the, uh, the school. And we want to talk to you about, uh, you know, potentially, you know, applying for the Honors College. And for me, I was a little surprised because I never applied to the school. So it was just kind of like, Okay, I got accepted uh, without applying. That's cool. Uh, so I'm like, all right. But I had another school that I was probably going to go to. So I'm like, I don't know. So I go down. I do the interview for the Honors College. But then I kind of just throw away the application. Because like, I don't really want to go there anyway. And a couple weeks later, I got a call from him saying, congratulations on your acceptance into the Honors College. I'm like, wow, that's easy to get into this school. Uh, and, uh, and then they said the magic words, we want to talk to you about your financial aid package. Uh, and then they offered me a tuition, like full tuition scholarship. All I had to pay was room and board. I was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool. So all I had to pay was room and board until the second year when I was there, I got a theater scholarship, which I also didn't apply for, which covered most of my room and board. And I interpreted all of this as a reward. 
God was rewarding, rewarding me for my faithfulness in choosing to give up my dream school, uh, and it was a reward that I earned for my enjoyment. And can I tell you what? It only puffed me up. <laughs> it only made me feel like I was some spiritual superman or whatever. Uh, but then, a couple years into architecture school, I felt God calling me out of architecture school into ministry. And eventually I left. And, and it wasn't right away, but you know, within the next few years, I started to realize that the reason God let me go to school for free, basically, wasn't because of some faithfulness, faithful decision I made when I was a senior in high school. It wasn't about that at all. He let me go to school for free so I'd be able to walk away from it debt-free when he was calling me to serve him in ministry. See, that whole time I was puffed up because I thought it was a reward for something I did. And let me be honest, I was not that faithful, all right? Like, I made one faithful decision. Most of my life was a wreck, though. But I still interpreted it as a reward for my faithfulness. I earned this, and I get to enjoy it. And God quickly showed me, no, 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 this is a resource I gave to you. I entrusted it to you so that you could come and serve me. Paul and the apostles, they saw these gifts that God had given to them, and they had some great gifts, and they said they easily could have reigned like kings. They said, no, no, no. We're going to serve God, even if it means we're the scum of the earth and the, the garbage of the world. We're going to take these gifts entrusted to us, and we're going to serve him. And Paul says, the very next thing Paul says, is, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Not to shame you, but to warn you. This is hard to believe <laughs> because Paul goes from here and he starts talking about how, hey, you guys have a lot of guardians, but like, I'm your spiritual father. Like, it seems like a little like kind of manipulative. Like, hey, I'm your spiritual father. Take it from me. And he's like, imitate me. I'm going to send Timothy to you to keep an eye on you and to like to mirror him. And then he closes out this whole section by saying, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? All right kind of feels like you're shaming us, Paul. But, but he says, I'm, I'm writing this not to shame you, and I believe him. I believe him, and here's why I believe him, because there's, there's one sentence we actually skipped over back in four, chapter, uh, chapter four, verse five, when Paul was talking about Jesus coming to judge us. Look what he says. If our judge nothing before the appointed time, wait until the Lord comes, and at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Do you notice what's missing here? Shame? <laughs> Condemnation? Paul says Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge. And he's talking to Christians here, okay? He's, and, you know, it's different if we're, we're not talking just about Jesus' followers. But he's talking to a group of followers of Jesus. He's saying that what awaits you is praise from God. Can you just let that sink in for just a moment? Paul is saying that, is, that what's on the table for us is that the king of the universe, the one before whom every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will be praising him for eternity, that one, the one who currently is sitting on a throne, he's surrounded by billions of angels who night and day for eons have been crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty in praise. That king of the universe is waiting for the day when he gets to see you and praise you. 
that this is what awaits us as followers of Jesus. And when Paul calls us into service with these gifts, he's saying, guys, the reason we do this is because this is what it's earning for us. And so you have a choice. You can either take these gifts that you've been given and pat yourself on the back and say, oh, you know, God is rewarding me for my faithfulness. And you could praise yourself and you could try to win the praise of others and have that sense of superiority. Or you can use them in service to the king and have the king of the universe singing your praises. How cool was it to hear David's testimony earlier? And David, who's, what, 16? 16, David? 17, 17. uh, Talking about making this decision that he wants to serve the Lord. Like, not because he had to, not because he's supposed to, because he wants to. He wants to serve the Lord. And then we got to, to see Mia leading worship today. And Mia, you're 15? Yeah? <laughs> Putting her on the spot. <laughs> I was talking to Mia's dad before the service. And, uh, and you know, Eric, he's back uh, running cameras for us today. But he's just beaming, you know, watching his daughter up here choosing to serve God. This amazing gift that she's been given. Choosing to serve God. And I can see the, the joy and the pride that he had in his daughter. And even me, like, I was hearing her, and I'm just like, I get weepy, because I remember when Mia was a little girl on, you know, going on mission trips and finding her way, and here she is as this young woman choosing to serve God. And, and I imagine, maybe in this moment, uh, Mia is a combination of a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> but there's a sense of pride. feels good to know that her, her dad is so proud of her, that her pastor is so proud of her. get this, who cares what I think and what Eric thinks? Because one day, Mia, you're going to see Jesus, and he's going to have tears in his eyes, and he's going to be like, that's my girl. So proud of you. And the one that you've been singing praises to is going to praise you. <laughs> Paul, and he's, he's coming in, he's saying, I'm going to use a rod of discipline if it takes me to this into your heads, all right? And I'm not going to do that, all right? I don't have a rod of discipline. But he's saying, I would if I could because, guys, we're leaving this on the table so that we could take this, you know, empty superiority and these gifts and use them for our own enjoyment when he's saying, no, 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 God has given you these gifts to serve him and his kingdom so that one day you can hear that divine affirmation, well done, good and faithful servant. To hear the king of the universe say, oh, that's my boy. That's my girl. I'm so proud of you. And I wish I could make this decision for you, but of course, this, this one's on you. And it, it's not about a momentary decision. You can make the decision now. It's going to be a decision each and every day when you wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to inventory the gifts that God has given to me. And I'm going to offer them back up in service, recognizing I did not earn these There's nothing I did to deserve these. He has given me these gifts so that I could do something great for him and his kingdom awaiting the day when he's going to sing my praises. And even if along the way I get treated like the scum of the earth and the garbage of the world, it's worth it. It'll all be so, so worth it. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up and we're going to go to the table of communion in just a moment. And as I pray, I just want, I want to encourage you to, 
to be doing this work in your heart and be asking, what are the gifts that God has given me? And be asking, am I using them for his kingdom and his glory? Or am I, am I seeing these as just rewards for my faithfulness, my hard work, my wisdom, whatever, fill in the blank? Are you using these things to feel superior to other people? Or are you using these things to win praise from your creator? If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.